The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Bruce Littlefield. Bruce is an American author, businessman, actor, model, and TV contributor. He is regarded as the American lifestyle authority and has been called a modern-day Irma Bombach. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Thank Bruce. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Good morning. Well, we're going to be talking about you, which I'm sure it's all about you, which is good. <laughs> and, it's uh, an easy topic for me, I think. <laughs> easy topic. After seeing your YouTube, I know it's an easy topic. But also about your book, Moving In an Unlicensed Marriage, which, of course, is timely given the recent Supreme Court decision that now you are allowed to get married and you can be licensed, actually. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, you know, I think we now have up to th- we're 13 states in. Um, I hope and my, my good thoughts are that it will continue to have that momentum. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's been a good summer, a good year so far. It's been a great year so far. We are going to get into your book, but I just got back from San Francisco, didn't even realize that the Gay Pride Parade was the weekend we were there. It was fantastic. It was great. I don't know if you were there or you... Well, Actually, I was out at Fire Island um, and uh, celebrated out there, which was quite a celebration. And then this past weekend, I was out there uh, for July 4th, and uh, they do something uh, every year called the Invasion, which is a boatload, a ferry load of drag queens come in. On, <laughs> and, uh, and it was this year uh, loud and proud. It was very, very fun. I, I, I think there must have been 300 drag queens on the boat. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I just I thought we're here. We're just chatting. We're not even talking about you book, but I saw uh, Kinky Boots, which was... Oh, uh, great. Yeah, what a good story, right? About drag queens. We Actually, we should say you're, it's about a, your marriage as a gay, or not marriage, is about a gay couple. We didn't even say that in the beginning, so, uh, but moving well, in... Well, when I start referring to Scott, unless Scott suddenly is, is a female name, <laughs> you'll know. Yeah, but you never know, right? Well, that's true, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what was so cool, now that I've said that, I'm just going to say at the Gay Pride Parade in San Francisco, uh, Mark Zuckerberg rented a cable car, and he had, I guess, three to 500 Facebook employees, gay, transgendered, uh, lesbians, all behind him in the cable car, and he was sitting in the cable car kind of with an entourage of people. It was very cool. He looks like he's 12 years old, but anyway, it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw some of those photos, and you know, what's really amazing about those kind of things for me as, um, you know, growing up in South Carolina as a gay man is to have a, a straight person be your friend and to, you know, sort of uh, stand up next to you and say, I love you for who you are, and uh, is wonderful, and so, uh, I mean, hats off to Facebook for that. Yes, yeah, and there was a whole, actually, group of people in this parade, uh, allies, 
I mean, there was, you know, family members, friends, etc. So that was all part of the parade as well. Okay, enough about the parade. Let's hear about your book, Moving in an Unlicensed Marriage. What's that? What's it all about? Well, it's the story of the first year of uh, homeownership. Scott and I, my partner Scott and I, uh, took a day trip out of the city and uh, ended up coming home with a house. <laughs> we bought a house. Um, and so it, uh, as you can imagine, two city boys um, it, moving into farm. Uh, I'm surrounded by farmland. So moving into the uh, farmland and figuring out everything from varmints to, you know, septic systems was quite an adventure. And also, during the course of a renovation, you figure out your relationship very quickly. So how long have you guys been together before you bought the house? Yeah, you'll love this. We've been together. Before we bought the house, we were together, say, seven years. Um, And we've been together now over 20 years. Um, And um, the story of that is that Scott's um, ex-girlfriend is the one that introduced us. Um, people, <laughs> people generally find that very uh, funny and fascinating, I guess. But the, the, he began dating a, a woman named Deb, and as he began dating her, he said that he thought he might be gug, and she okay. said, "Well, let's." <laughs> yes, and she said, "Well, let's date and see." And then they went to like a, a sex therapist and a rabbi and a, a, a psychic healer and all sorts of things. And then at the end of the about nine months, they decided that yes, he was going to have to fly his rainbow flag, and they took this goodbye trip together to St. Martin, um, and then on the way back on the plane, she said, I have a friend I want you to meet, and that friend was me. Well, that's very cool. So, Isn't that how, amazing? Yeah. Well, it's an amazing woman that, well, we, you know, I, I, we adore her. She's happily married now, has two kids. She's a wonderful person. We're still great friends with her. And, I mean, just the, the generosity of spirit on that and, uh, is, is quite, was quite nice, you know? Well, it says something about their relationship, that it was a friendship as well. I mean, that yeah. there was, yeah, that there was a, a, a good relationship. Um, okay, so, but the book... Um, yep. is very interesting because when you moving in tales of an unlicensed marriage, you had been together for seven years. Now you've been yep. together. Are you still in the same house? We are in the same country house. Um, and then we actually, when we bought the house, we didn't even own our city apartment. We were renting that city apartment. And uh, and then I, I did a book and, and got a little money. And so we were able to go ahead and buy a, a place up in the country. And then um, one thing leads to another. And years later, we were able to go ahead and buy a city apartment. So now we have a city pad and a country house. Very nice. But this is about your... I'm describing the book, Committed Expose on Relationships um, and that Bonding Experience Renovation. <laughs> yeah, and, and sort of I'm the, I'm, I'm the I Love Lucy, I'm the Lucy, and Scott's the Ricky. I mean, you know, I talk Scott into many things many times that he is um, not so thrilled about when we're going into it, but um, at the end of the day, I think he's pretty happy with it. <laughs> So, okay, the yin and the yang, or the Felix and Oscar. Yes, you, want to you got it. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about it. So, I mean, it's a major issue, buying a house, renovating. There always has yeah. to be the person who is the organized one and the one who isn't so organized. So, Yeah, well, I'm, uh, you know, I say that there's, I mean, the one thing that people will see when they read the book is that how um, familiar 
the relationship sounds to if you've ever been in a relationship. I mean, couples are basically very similar in a lot of ways. And, you know, I always, I always think that there's one in every couple who will um, happily go about the house to make things pretty. And there's the other in the couple who will be happy to walk across the floor in muddy shoes to see those results. <laughs> and so we sort of have that kind of relationship. And really, like you said, it's sort of a yin-yang thing, a salt and pepper. It, 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 those things complement each other in a way. One's sort of the uh, expander and the let's spend the money, and one's the container saying, let's, what are you crazy? Don't, don't you buy that. So. <laughs> so it doesn't matter whether you're two men, two women, man or woman or whatever. Yeah. There yeah. seems to be... There's an attraction for kind of opposites. I mean, I, my boyfriend of 25 years, he's the clean one, and I'm the one who eats the food off the floor and, you know, forget <laughs> about the bacteria. It's not going to kill you. You've lived, But he, you know, takes showers three times a day, and I take one every three days. <laughs> and, yeah. So yeah. I'm well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there is, you know, it's true. The, 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 the idea that um, everybody in a relationship has to be the same would drive me crazy, and I like the fact that um, there's a difference of opinion and that Scott is, um, you know, qu- quite opposite from me in so many ways. I, our heart is the same. We, we have the, the same um, intention and the, the goodwill towards our friends and our, our families, but at the end of the day, Scott and I are very different people. Your values are the same. Would, would that Correct. Be, Good. Yeah. Good. Much better way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So what can we learn from the book? Is it just fun or is it – do we have a message? Well, I have had um, – I've gotten some really great responses from people. And I think the thing that you'll learn, first of all, is that, you know, I like to laugh at myself and, and laugh at just the foibles of life. And I think that the that perspective – really helps you get through um, things that might not be so easy. Um, you know, like, for example, we had a huge, Scott and I had, when we first bought the house, we had this huge, what some might d- describe as a discussion, others might call a fight, in the <laughs> middle of the Home Depot over whether I was going to buy a jacuzzi for the back of the house. And Scott was insistent that the jacuzzi was going to cost more than just the jacuzzi. We were going to have to put in electric and we were going to have to do, uh, you know, some kind of uh, platform or, or, or pad around it. And I... Um, got the Home Depot, what I call the Homer, involved, and another lady in the aisle, and we all had a little discussion about the joys of a jacuzzi. <laughs> and sure enough, I bought the the jacuzzi. Well, we get it delivered, and I wasn't here. And the electrician, and you know, Scott's saying no, no, no the entire time. And the electrician that installed the jacuzzi plugged it in without any water. So the first day that we were going to go uh, and use our jacuzzi, it wouldn't heat, and we couldn't quite figure it out. And at the end of the day, it was one of those um, I told you so moments with with Scott. And truth be told, we are now on our, I think it's the third hot tub. Um, But the moments and the times that we get to sit and relax and actually talk in those hot tubs are really fantastic. So So in the end, it was a good decision. Yes, oh, of course, because it was mine. I, I it was your idea, <laughs> definitely. You know, I always think, though, and, and I don't know if other people do or not, but, Bruce, like, you know, if you have two men and or two women, you're yeah. going to get along better than a man and a woman because there are so many other things that you have in common that you can get into all this stuff. So let's talk a little bit about that because yeah. 
yeah, the issues are the same. But you would think that there would be kind of, in certain ways, more compatibility if you were of the same sex. Yeah, you you would think that, wouldn't you? That's true. <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, it, it, the truth be told is that all of us are different and we're our own little beings, right? And we all have our ideas and we all come with our baggage and we all come with our things that we like and our, our taste. And, you know, you can go to a restaurant and somebody will say, I can't stand peppers, and another person will say, I love peppers. So, um each of us are very different. Now, in a, in a same-sex couple, um, you do have sort of the, the ideology that, um, you, you know, you, you're in the same um, sex skin, but um, in our heads, we all have um, our own proclivities and, uh, you know, uh, dreams and passions, and they're just as different in a... Um, same-sex couple as they are can, and can be in a, in a heterosexual couple. Okay, well, that's well said. Uh, now I understand it better. But, and, <laughs> and to kind of add to that, I mean, you're an author, you're a writer, an actor, you're on TV all the time. You've written, uh, you, wrote, you co-authored a book with Barbara Corcoran. She was on my show a couple of years ago. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, she, uh, she's a very cool lady. Of the New York Times best-selling, it was Use What yeah, You've yeah, Got. Yeah, Use What You've Got, and now it's out in paperback as, as Shark Tales, because as some of your listeners will know, that she's on uh, ABC's Shark Tank, the very popular Shark Tank. And actually, I just got off the phone with her last night, and she's out in L.A. filming for the fifth season of that, so I'm very excited for her on that. That's okay, so you do, yeah. and so your work is, like, very different than Scott's, but he's a senior person at Court, well, she's Corcoran, um, uh, selling real estate in selling New York Selling real estate, right. Yeah. Scott's one of the top uh, real estate brokers in Manhattan, um, and he's he's you know, worked doggedly at that for many years, and we do have very different careers. I, I was just last week um, spreading um, uh, mulch around my yard, and, and the mulch that I use is uh, composed of rat poop. Mm. <laughs> and so here <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, it's so, it sounds so disgusting, it but does. it's 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 really um, it's it's called dynamulch, and it's this really great uh, for your soil, and it comes from uh, uh, areas uh, this place locally that uses um, uh, laboratory rats. So it's very clean, very sterile, everything's good. But I have my hands in the rat poop mulch, and my phone rings, and it's Scott, and. Scott is in the city in a, in a glamorous apartment showing Senator Joe Lieberman uh, an apartment, and here I am in the country <laughs> with my hands in, in rat poop mulch. So at times it can be very, very different. It, yeah, but you both bring different things to the table. It makes it more interesting, I would think, well, right? You know, and what do they say, variety is the spice of life? I mean, yeah, exactly. I, uh, you know, staring at the, and doing the same things, I mean, vanilla and vanilla is just sort of dull. Boring. Yeah. Boring, boring, right? Okay, so you've been, I'm sure, you know, 20 years is a long time to be together. So, yeah. and we were talking about the differences and stuff. What keeps you together? What is, you know, what's the, I mean, you're not married. Yeah. You guys can get married now. Yes. Well, what keeps us together is um, obviously we have a, a love and understanding of each other. Um, that's the main thing. But uh, the, the, 
the real things that I think actually that we do that make our relationship successful is that we personally always have a goal. Like we are, we're always working on something together that we have that we're excited about. So for a period of time, and it, it's, it's, we love to do the country house, for a period of time we worked on the apartment and dreamed about, you know, when we were getting ready to move into the apartment. Another period of time we've owned restaurants. We did two successful restaurants and those were all projects that we we worked on together so that's one thing but the other thing is is that i i heard this woman who had been married for 75 years one time um and she was on uh, one of the morning programs i was on that morning too and i was standing in the wings and she said um when she was asked uh what is the secret to your how you've been married for 75 years and the woman paused and she said well I guess we've never been out of love with each other at the same time. Uh And it just made so much sense to me that, you know, there are days that I'm like, I could just wring your neck. And I'm sure there's many days that Scott could do the same thing to me. But, um, you know, that seems to make sense, right? That we've never been out of love with each other at the same time. And we've always found a way to keep that, you know, that fire burning, I guess. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's well said because if you have – two people who are kind of like, I want out, and the potential for getting out of the relationship is, is there. But you guys, do you compete with one another? I mean, are you, because you're both very successful, and you're both very successful at what you do. I mean, uh, we kind of made light of it, but, I mean, you are really the Irma Bombeck. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> you know, we don't compete with each other, really. I think we, we cheerlead for each other, and one of my, um, you know, sort of, working principles in my personal life is that I find that I, um, I celebrate the talents of other people. And what I mean by that is that, you know, in my books, I'm always looking to find out what other, somebody else knows and they can teach me or, or enlighten me on. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you and I, um, are, are sharing your friends and, you know, I celebrate the fact that you have a radio show and look how many people that you are able to help and, and you know, and entertain and enlighten. Now, um, if, if I took the opposite approach and was jealous of you, where would that get me? I mean, everything I've ever done to help and to, to you know, cheer somebody else on, it comes back in your life and it manifests well, I think. So Scott and I, um, we, we tend to be each other's cheerleader. Now, where did that come from? I want, you know, your background. Let's talk about your family, because how does that fit in? I mean, obviously Uh-oh, you were now raised that we've, way. Now we Or you were <laughs> raised that way, and you had to kind of reinvent yourself. Yeah, well, I'm from South Carolina, and I sat on the fifth row, right-hand side of a Southern Baptist church for most of my childhood on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and often Wednesday evenings. And, um, you know, growing up in South Carolina and hearing... How, that, you know, basically what I knew in my little soul and little heart, the, who I was, that I was being, you know, sort of condemned, um, was very, very difficult. And the, the you know, sort of pain of knowing that um, really makes me um, really want to find uh, the the commonality and, and the, the bond that I can have with everyone. And um, because, I mean, there's really, if you, you know, if you get to know someone, there's, there are very few people that um, 
if you're kind to them, um, that, that will not return that favor. So I, I have grown up that way. My family is um, <laughs> a piece of work, as, as many families are. As I most mean, I families think, are. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, we, we, all seem, we all have come to terms with understanding each other and being um, different. Um, you know, we, my brother and sister and I have just an amazing relationship. Um, each of them are, are, are married. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's mothers and fathers sometimes have their own impressions and, and ideas of how their li- their children's lives are supposed to go, and um, and guess what? They probably don't often go that way. Um, but it's it, yes, that's sort of um, my my upbringing is sort of um, you know it gives us our, our foundation for for sure. Well, I'm picturing you sitting in in church with and being you know listening yeah. to a lot of this stuff and that's yes. disparaging against gay yeah, yeah. LBGT community and like yeah. you know that you're gay and I, what age did you realize that you were gay and when did you come out to your parents and or your brothers and sisters yeah good question i um i realized when i was gay i mean the very first time i can remember having like just like a love tingle in my heart i mean you know i had a friend in first grade and i remember you know it was a guy and i remember thinking i love him and i guess a lot of kids have that right you know they yes. go back and forth and they can say um you know some days they might want to marry a boy and some days they might want to marry a girl and whatever but when i as i grew older i realized that those feelings didn't change. I wanted to go shopping with my girlfriends, but, you know, the romantic relationship, I wanted to gossip with them on the phone, but the romantic relationship was not not there. I didn't have that same tingle. So I, I realized from a very early age, I told my family once I um, moved to New York when I was uh, 21 and realized that, you know, hey, there are other people like me and you know, I am not um, the uh, you know freak that that Outcast I was preached to. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and and those those things that took me many years to actually like shake that off, to to shake off that um, that feeling that no matter what I did right, I was always wrong, um, and. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a a growth process for sure. But um, the other thing that when you read my book is that I I can laugh a lot about myself and about the situations that are presented to me, and I do feel like that often is um, you know the a medicine a cure for um, uh, for those ail- ailments. So a sense of humor got you through or gets you through a lot of this, a really good sense of humor, and that's what you're sharing with everybody in your book, Moving in Tales of an Unlicensed Marriage. Well, you're right. Um, I think, you know, there's two kinds of people, those that can laugh and those that can't. And I think that if you can't laugh, you should figure out something that does make you laugh, and you should um, do more of that. Because I just feel like laughter and a sense of humor are, are helpful. Um, you know, in an, another one of my books, uh, Garage Sale America, I talk about if you want a good deal from someone, if you go to shopping at a garage sale or for a, a car, and that person likes who you are, they're going to be more 
apt to wanting you to get a good deal. They're going to be on, people are on your team more when you are a um, you know a, an affable person. So why not? And if you can't give a laugh. Give a smile, and they've I, they, they, they've proven that you know even if you smile, it actually triggers something in your brain that actually does make you want to be happier. Yeah, I, I think there are chemicals, good chemicals and bad chemicals. And if you're smiling and you're upbeat, the good chemicals kind of permeate your body. And if you're nasty and aggressive, and then what is it, cortisol? I don't know. But yeah, anyway, I think like, you're right, cortisol. Yeah. Yeah. But you know. The thing is, is that think of the analogy of a growling dog. No one wants to pet a growling dog. And um, if you approach the things that you do in life that way, people are going to turn away from you. So, you know, sense of humor and a, and a, um, a positive outlook and, you know, just trying to make the most of the situation that you're presented with um, is uh, certainly the, the, the root to um, uh, a good and happy life and a great relationship with others. Well, it's kind of that law of attraction. When you get what you, whatever you put out there, you get back. You know, if you're... yes, certainly. And some people can put some pretty smelly things out there. Yeah, and nasty stuff, right? What yeah, stuff? I, 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 I tend to try to to take the opposite uh, approach. I mean, just because it just it I it works in my life, and uh, you know. It, and it's worth for your relationship. I mean, well, at the end of the day, I was going to say, you know, I think we all, no matter who, who we are or whatever our walk of life, we want to put our head on the pillow at night and feel good about our day and about who we are. And, you know, I don't want to go to, to, to bed thinking that I yelled at the waiter in the restaurant, you know. I, I want to go to bed saying, oh, well, the, my meal didn't come out when everybody else's did, but... You know, I had an extra cocktail or whatever. You know, <laughs> hey, I'd like to go out for dinner with you. That's my attitude, right? <laughs> You're invited any time, Catherine. Yeah, I've had an extra drink, so it's fine, right? <laughs> um, well, we only have a couple minutes left, so let's kind of promote the book because okay. you can go online. You know, where obviously. Yeah, well, the easiest place to find it the quickest is um, is to go to Amazon and. P- put in either my name, Bruce Littlefield, or put in the book's name, uh, Moving In, Tales of an Unlicensed Marriage. But I also have a website, brucelittlefield.com, and I do things that are fun and, uh, you know, sort of every day I I have things that um, in America uh, sort of uh, brighten my my day or good stories, and I I post those there. So um, certainly join me there. Um, in regards to the book, you know, I I had such an amazing experience my my first year of um, home ownership that I felt like it was uh, you know a good story to to be uh, read and told. Um, in that first year, and I tell these stories in the book, but you know, I did everything from you know burning off my eyebrow uh, in the oven and having to make the decision whether to go to the emergency room, um, and. Uh, Scott and I had a big war over Christmas lights and, you know, learned how to operate a lawnmower and that I shouldn't. And and then one of the stories that people seem to find very fascinating is that I invited a fugitive in for a beer. And um, in the book I tell the story, but it's quite funny, and I ended up talking this man into turning himself in. And you also, there's a trailer of that book. If, I mean, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but on YouTube, if you go to YouTube, you can. I would say it's a trailer that they usually have for a movie, but this is kind of for your book, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's some of those incidents. Uh, it's really 
it was really fun talking to you. Um, and we do have to say goodbye because the next guest is here. But Bruce Littlefield, Moving In, Tales of an Unlicensed Marriage. And you can go to his website, brucelittlefield.com. Catherine, it was great being with you. Thank you so much. Great being with you. We're going to take a short break right now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away because uh, coming back, my next guest is Mariella Daba, and her new book is called Find Your Inner Red Shoes. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Mariella Daba. She is the author of Find Your Inner Red Shoes. She's a, been described as a powerful and inspiring speaker. Um, she has, is the author of, I think, several books. She is the founder of the Red Shoe Movement. So we're going to hear about her new book, Find Your Inner Red Shoes and the Red Shoe Movement. Um, she's welcome, well, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Mariella. Thank you. Fantastic being here. Yeah, so you're doing great stuff for women, um, helping women to, what, understand their inner self so that they can be successful professionally, get out there and do what they want to do and sort of fall, be able to follow their potential, grow professionally. That's what this book is all about. 
Absolutely, and you said it perfectly. Um, the idea for the book is to get women thinking about success on on a different, um, you know, with a, with different terms, meaning success as your journey rather than your destination. So figuring out what success means to you, defining it, and then being able to align that internal uh, definition with the resources and the people who can help you fulfill that definition. So it's, it's easier to align your career goals once you figure out what it is that success will look like, what it would look like for you. Well, this comes from a background of a lot of experience. It wasn't you sat down and wrote the book yesterday. So let's talk about how you came to write the book, The Red Shoe Movement, what it is, and what you've been doing over the past year, few years, because I guess the book reflects your experiences as well as other women um, and their examples of them being able to um, be successful and take their own journey and uh, have success as a destination. Yeah, um, absolutely. My, I'm, I'm a, I have a master's degree in philosophy and literature. I come from Argentina, where I grew up. And, um, you know, I came to this country with two suitcases, newly married, and I started my, my journey here. And uh, this is my seventh book. My focus has been in the last many years uh, helping people figure out how to be successful in this market in the U.S., um, in education, career development, and now through being empowered as uh, women. So... Um, Find Your Inner Red Shoes is the culmination of that journey in terms of, you know, I was working a lot with Latinos, with the mothers of Latino students to help them figure out how the education system works and then how to get a job and then how once you're in a job, how do you grow. And I've been working with women for many years in um, my client, the corporations that I consult with and for which I develop programs. And I realized that we really needed to have a conversation more privately with women, because there are certain topics that affect us differently, and it would be good to address them, almost like a group of friends chatting with each other. So that's the tone of the book. Everybody says, you know, when I read the book, it feels like I'm having a conversation with you, and that's exactly how I wanted it to come across. But w- women still have the same problem with we earn 70 cents on the 70, I guess it's 70 cents or 77 cents on the dollar in terms of what, you know, comparing us to what men are able to earn, that women are not CEOs of companies, um, big companies, big corporations, and I know you have consulted with and done presentations at Exxon and McDonald's and all the big companies, Verizon and the uh, universities, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Um, are we getting anywhere? I mean, it, it seems like we've been talking about this for 30 years. Women need to get ahead, but the, are we getting ahead? Well, you know, um, that's exactly the the same question that I have, Catherine, that uh, we've been talking about it for decades and nothing really happens. I was I became very frustrated with that, and that's part of the reason I came up with the Red Shoe Movement, because it's a Women Supporting Women for Career Success um, initiative. And the I think that, and, and, and just so that we kind of give the, the, the little scope, um, we invite women to wear red shoes on Tuesdays to show to work to show their support for other women career advancement and we do leadership development programs on site and off site you can attend our event you can invite us with your company to come and do um, professional development internally um, the what I think 
one of the secrets to break with this stagnation, you know, the fact that the needle doesn't move in 30 years, is um, by helping women figure out what it is that they want to do and not try to fit them in a mold and try for them to pursue certain career goals or to enter organizations that are structured for men. Because what happens is that the few women who are making it to the CEO seat or to the C-suite um, have, have had to adapt so much to fit in those roles that once they get there, they don't uh, implement as much change as needed for more women to enter the workplace. So there is not enough change happening to uh, embrace more women beyond middle management. And that's why I think that once we help more women figure out what it is that they want and we help by changing our organizations to receive these people who have other interests than what men do. We have multiple interests, and we have multiple ways in which we would like to impact the workplace. Then we'll start seeing some movement. Mariella, so you're saying that we need to first, as women, examine ourselves and our motives before we start having an impact, let's say, on the corporation or the company that we work for. And one of the things you say, which I, I want to talk about this, because a subconscious mandates or family pressures that may be holding us back. I think that's like a huge topic, and I think that women hold themselves back because of those subconscious mandates, which say, "Well, you're not, you know, you need being successful isn't that important, or women really shouldn't earn that much money." Or I could list a whole lot of those, you know, many of those kinds of, um, you know, you describe them maybe as family pressures or uh, how we relate or feel about ourselves. Well. Um, a couple of things before I delve into that. I do think that there are a lot of things that we can do to be in a different place. I also think that corporations and organizations of all kinds uh, need to be doing a lot more to adapt themselves to the style that women have, which is completely different than the style men have in the workplace. So it's not that we are only holding ourselves back. It's that many times if you really want to bring your entire self to work, you know, you're hitting a wall because the organization is not prepared for people who have different styles. So I think it, it needs to be a two-way street. It needs to be work, worked together uh, between the two parties. Right, give us an example of that, like a real-life example. Like so, one for example, book. you know, the, the, the lack of flexibility in the workplace, the fact that uh, women get um, get punished in a way when when they step away to have children and they want to um, be caretakers of the child for the first uh, few months or the first year or whatever. And once you come back, it's still so difficult to um, come back, you know, in the same way in which men come back. And you know, once we start realizing that both men and women need more flex time, mo much more ability to work remotely and to to create an environment where, you, you know, you can, um, you can do all these other things that are important to you, I think that that's when things are really going to shift. I think there's a lot of talk about it, but there's not enough being implemented in terms of those adaptations. And I, I think that's true. I want to address that because I think when a man has a heart attack or he has cancer and he has to be out and hospitalized, they welcome him back. And they, or companies, I think, tend to do that more than if a woman is out 
having a baby, for instance, and, and it may be the same amount of time, but the reaction in terms of their peers or their bosses is very different. Yes, and, you know, there are a lot of things like um, you, you get opportunities by, have, by being ex- extremely visible in your company and doing a lot of things that in, in, imply a lot of additional time put into the, the, the workplace that many times women have to use that time in other things that are important to them or because they're still the primary uh, caretaker at home and the person that takes care of everything else at home. And so unless we get more men to partner with women, both at home and at work, we're always going to be kind of carrying this double duty that is very hard then to get that kind of visibility when you, we, you don't have it, that kind of time uh, on, your, on your hands if you are expected to take care of all these things at home, right? So those things need to shift as well. You need to start noticing that women work when they put their kids to, to, to bed. They keep on working. They're still connected. They're still doing their, their work overnight. And they might not be present in the networking event you had right after hours, but they are fulfilling uh, big time the responsibilities, and they're doing tremendous things, and they're not getting recognized for it. So um, those things need to be changed in the workplace. You know, we cannot only ask women to do all the change that needs to be done. However, what I wanted to do with this book, and you brought it up, is I wanted for all of us to be aware of what areas we could explore over, over ourselves so that we realize what will bring us most satisfaction instead of running after something that we did not decide that's what I want to do. It got decided for us even before maybe we were born. So that's where the mandates come to play. So what are the principles specifically of the Red Shoe Movement? I mean, what are, what are the principles, the mission? What, yeah, what are they? So the idea of the Red Shoe Movement, Women Supporting Women for Career Success, is to create a supportive environment where uh, we take away that narrative that women are not supporting each other and that's why there are not more women in key positions, which is not true because we currently don't have enough women in um, executive positions to close the door on the other women coming after them, and, um, and create this leadership programs where women learn the internally what it is that they want for themselves and they find the resources to help them fulfill that goal. So, for example, if I decide um, I want to be a successful entrepreneur and I'm currently in a corporation and I'm, I'm in the rat race, right? I'm, I'm working hard. I'm trying to get promotions, but I'm not really happy about it, and I don't know why. Until I stop and I do a whole bunch of uh, insightful exercises that I have in the book and and get feedback from colleagues and and friends, I'm going to keep on trying to pursue a, a, a goal that I didn't really consciously set up for myself. So... The moment I realized, you know what, I'd love to have my own company, so I don't have to be any, and I, I can be my own boss, I can manage my own schedule, you know, I'm okay with risk, etc. And maybe I'll start planning on how I, what's my exit strategy, how am I going to start my own company, who can help me figure that out, etc. So, but, but if I, if I, I don't feel, to... figure it out, I mean, how can I go about it, right? Yeah, but you can't go about it alone, it seems to me. That's one of the kind of the tenets of the, of the, uh, 
red shoe movement. I mean, that mm-hmm. you have to have support from other women. And traditionally, because all the stuff, and even people that I've had on the show, they talk about how women don't want to be mentors because when they get into a position of, of power, they don't want to mentor a younger woman because they're afraid that she's going to take over that position and there are so few for women to have. But you're saying that's really not true. We need, and if, even if it is the truth, we need not to do that. We have to support we have to support and mentor one another. We need help. We can't do it alone. Um, you bring a very important topic. The um, Red Shoe Movement encourages, obviously, this mutual support. Our The basics of it is constant uh, two-way empowerment. So in our events, whether they're on-site or off-site, we do mutual mentoring circles where everybody who comes becomes a protagonist at the event. So they're like no speakers. So if you are a young woman starting your career, you're going to have to pick one of the topics we will offer during the event to be an expert on that topic so you can share. And a more executive person can learn from you. And then the reverse is true. Then the more executive per- people will be experts on a topic that they know more about. And, they, um, you know, younger people in their careers or the uh, early career people, they will learn from the um, more senior. What happens is that we have established a system for mentorship that's you always unidirectional. It's always the executive person who has, um, ber- you know, had a lot of, trouble, overcome a lot of uh, obstacles to get to that position, and now not only does she have the enormous responsibility for the job, but now she has to be mentoring everybody and their mother because there are so few executives, right, executive women. So first of all, we want to break with that. I believe that every time you're in a situation, in a relationship, it should be two-way, and mentorship is not an exception. So that executive should get something out of the mentorship relationship as well, not just feeling good because she's helping somebody. So if she feels that she's getting as much from, her, from the other person that she's giving, she'll be more willing to be in a mentorship situation. That's an Some, incentive for being a mentor. Uh, of course, of course. And number two, you should not only be mentored by women. As a matter of fact, one of the first things we all need to do is we all need to bring the men into the equation and have them become partners because they're, they're going to have to understand the value proposition of including more women in the workplace at higher levels because they're giving up part of their power. They're going to be sharing some of their power. And so what's the value proposition of them? Well, you know, all research shows that the bottom line of companies that have a higher percentage of women executives is much better than companies that don't. So that's an incentive right there. You know, all but, of the studies show. But Mariella, where is that statistic? Where is that statistic? Don't oh, I can, statistic. We can, I can send them to you and you can post them. There is lots of research done um, by organizations like Catalyst and by, you know, world-renowned organizations that show that companies with female executives on their board and executives in general do much better uh, between 16 and 26 percent better in the return of the further investment. So um, that's an incentive for the men who have the most powerful positions. And we need to bring them in as mentors and as sponsors of women. We cannot do this alone. I think that statistic is so important. I mean, it's one that gets buried or lost, I think, because... Exactly. Yeah, for whatever for lots of reasons, but it really needs to be out there. What about in your book? Give us some examples of the women in your book and how they've you know, been able to 
<clears throat> embrace the red shoe movement and become successful, like, a, you know, a, a case study? So um, the women, the red shoe movement started actually when my Find Your Inner Red Shoes book came out in Spanish last year. So actually, first we did the interviews, and then the you know I did the whole book, and then the the red shoe movement came came about. But what I can tell you is that every we have a what we call the ambassador school, and it's a school of young professionals who join us to be volunteers to put together. Uh, one of our events, and that's called Action Learning, and it's a, it's a program. So through creating uh, from scratch an event, not only they become a very tight group of professional supporters of each other, they are trained on everything from um, uh, public speaking, negotiation, facilitation, event planning, and execution, and so forth. But what happens is during that process, they're finding their own inner red shoe. So every single one of our six senior ambassadors who put together our launch event at the New York Times in March, um, we had 230 women at that event, every single one of this senior group, they saw um, um, a change and a growth in their careers. So one of them who was not supervising anybody at their job got a promotion and started supervising two people, and now she's sitting with her boss and telling her boss, I think this is what we need to do in, in terms of strategy to get more visibility for our company. I think you need to be sending me to XYZ conferences, etc. Another one who was going to, she was a paralegal and she was going to go to law school because she didn't know what else to do, decided she's not going to law school, saving thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm going to study event planning. The other one who was inside a company in the HR track decided she wanted to move to communications within the same company. So every single one was able to figure out what really moved her and adjust what they were doing. Some of them, you know, a 20% adjustment. Some of them, a 180-degree adjustment of what they were doing so that they could feel, feel more fulfilled. Well, those are great stories, and I, I want to relate them somehow. How does this relate to women who are getting MBAs? Do you speak, do you do presentations at some of the MBA schools? Because now they're getting more and more women who are in MBA programs. I don't think quite as many women are in MBA programs as men, unlike law school and medical school. But don't they, you, it's important to address them because they're going to be out there and they're going to be potential leaders and in these big companies? Of course, I speak in front of all kinds of groups and all kinds of audiences, and I think you're, you're right, that's a very important group to address, but I think that the more women MBAs that we have, the more impact they're going to have in the way that business is conducted, because, you know, women bring a whole social aspect to themselves. They do business, but they're interested also in social enterprises. So they're going to bring their own style to the business, and once you get a critical mass of people impacting the workforce in a certain way, then you get to the tipping point where things start to change. So, uh, yes, I do think that that's a very important group to address. Yeah, uh, and I know that it's, it's difficult sometimes to, you know, they recruit women for MBA programs. It's, it's not always easy to, to get them into the programs themselves, you know, which is interesting. But okay, now let's kind of give a, a, a summary of... Um, the red shoe movement. What do we need to do? Say anybody, uh, young women may who may be listening to the program. What do you suggest that they do in terms of joining the movement or uh, getting more information or how do we approach the whole thing? 
Okay, so first I suggest, obviously, that you get a copy of Find Your Inner Red Shoes because this is a book that you can read with, and, and if you're in a company or if you have a group of colleagues or friends, you should read it in a group because the book offers you, um, first of all, the whole first part where we talk about a mandate, an inventory to help you figure out what it is that it's still playing in the background in your subconscious that might be interfering with you moving forward in your career. What messages you, you heard as growing up, how you were uh, certain in nonverbal communication, things that you were born into a family, like you, um, I was born into a professional family. It was already taken that I was going to go to college. But there was no guidance of what I was supposed to study because the under, understanding was I was going to get married and have children. So that lack of guidance affected me. So how is this affecting me today in my workplace? Can I recreate new messages that work better for me now? So that's very important. And it also offers you, the book offers you tools to figure out what your brand is and how you can tweak it. And for that, you need the feedback of others. So, you know, by working in a group, that will become more clear for you. And it helps you negotiate and fulfill whatever it is that you decide as your goal. And so once you get the book, which would give you a very clear, um, a solid understanding of the background of the Red Shoe Movement, you can join us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest under Red Shoe Movement. You can visit us on redshoemovement.com. And you can either join us as a volunteer uh, ambassador. You know, we'll put you in touch with the right person so that you're uh, incorporated into one of our teams. You can attend our events. You know, we'll post them on our website. You can invite us to uh, talk to somebody at your company so that we can come in and do a Red Shoe event at your company. And you can also bring your company as a sponsor for our Red Shoe events that we do uh, off-site, which are called signature events, like the one we did at the New York Times. And we're talking about all of these events are all over the country. I know you're in New York City, but it's <clears throat> this, this is, these are national events. We are doing uh, another event in New York City in the fall and one in Miami in the fall, but we're planning several events across the country for next year. So, yes, we're already obviously seeking um, companies that are interested in being sponsors of women leadership and women advancement in the workplace. There are so many that are really interested in moving more people into executive uh, levels that, um, you know, we're, we're having conversations with many main corporations. So the Red Shoe Movement, uh, and you can go to redshoemovement.com, as you mentioned before, and it's always good to mention these things again. Also on Facebook.com is the Red Shoe Movement. And the title of your book, Find Your Inner Red Shoes, you're saying we need to read that first, and then we can go ahead and become a part of the, of the movement. And men can become a part of the movement, too. They can wear red shoes on, what do you wear? Supposed to wear red shoes on Tuesday to work? Yeah, we ask men to wear red ties, actually. Uh, we are lenient. So uh, <laughs> they can wear red ties. And we also have very cute red shoe charms on our website. And for women who are in certain industries where red shoes or certain areas of the country where red shoes are really unacceptable still, in the workplace, even one, one day a week on Tuesdays, they can wear very proudly our red charms or our red uh, charms, that, um, the bracelets that um, we had Erica Becker design for us. So, you know, there's always a way to show your support for other women's careers. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a great way by showing your support wearing red shoes or red ties on Tuesdays. Fantastic. We have to say goodbye. Uh, Mariella Daba, find your inner red shoes. 
step into your own style of success. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was wonderful chatting yeah, with you. Great to have you. We're going to have to, we are going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.